Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Good to see you, Paul. Thank you, Mike. The, uh, why don't you start with, um, maybe just tell us about your family. Tell us about your Pepsi and your kids and yeah. how you ended up here. My wife, Pepsi, you might have met her. Um, and we, I have two kids, uh, Daniel and Jonathan. Daniel uh, just finished his uh, graduation. He's working. And uh, Jonathan is in high school. Uh, he's a high school senior. Um, we moved to Folsom in 2001. Uh, so since 2001, we have been here. Um, we started attending Oak Hills Church, and uh, it was a wonderful experience attending Oak Hills Church. God really spoke to us and and molded us in many ways, and um, that's a great experience. Yeah, good. So talk about uh, ICCS, what it is, how it got started, how you and Hepsi came to the thought of feeling like you wanted to start this church? Yeah. So we were very much comfortable here at Oak Hills, and there was a spiritual formation group started, and we were part of that group. And we learned so many things like how to live genuinely, authentically in, in the kingdom of God. And um, at the same time, uh, we lacked fellowship. Um, we didn't have good fellowship, the people who can... Uh, with whom we can share. Uh, so we started a small Bible study with another Indian uh, family. Uh, we started meeting every Friday uh, to study the Bible and to have fellowship. And that Bible study has grown to 10 to 12 families. Uh, just the families that come here to Folsom to do software work. And... Um, we were having Bible study and, and fellowship, but we were not able to reach out to people. Uh, and, and there were so many people coming to Folsom, especially people from India, uh, from different religions. And God stirred our hearts, and uh, there was a burden in our hearts to reach out to these people. And um, even though we were very much comfortable worshiping the Lord in a church and and yeah, known, having fellowship with known people and all that, uh, there are so many hundreds of people that come to Folsom, they live in this area, which were neglected in the sense that, you know, not many people were making efforts to reach out to those people in terms of, you know, sharing the good news with them. And during that time, God stirred up my heart and my wife's heart and with some like-minded people, we shared this burden. And then through pastors Mike and Kent, God spoke to us and through the scripture. In many ways, God has uh, spoke, spoken to us that uh, we need to start a church. And uh, I met Pastor Kent and I shared this vision. Um, and I wanted to take that as a sign if he encourages me. And then, sure, he encouraged me, and he was there behind me. And uh, then we met the Oak Hills Elder Board, and we shared the vision. 
And I'm really thankful to God and praise God for this church uh, that, you know, they have fully supported us and they have encouraged us. And Pastors Kent and Mike and Rick and Manuel, all of them were available anytime we, we face a challenge or we needed help. So I'm really grateful for the church. And seven and a half years ago in 2012, uh, we started this church. And, you know, God has been so faithful uh, in leading us. That's great. Tell us about uh, maybe update on how it's going, what you, what you guys are doing these days, or what are your yes. kind of some of your plans? Yeah, so from the time that we started the church um, till now, we were able to share this good news with more number of people than the 11 years we were gathering as a Bible study before. So it's been a tremendous blessing, not only to us, but also to the community in in Falls of Sacramento area. And uh, we have Bible studies in, in two places on Friday evenings, and all the children and all of us will come together. We study the Bible. Um, and recently, just this year, we started a discipleship um, Bible study group on Monday nights, and it has been a blessing for those people who are attending that. And um, we have seen uh, the impact that ICC has made in the, in the community, and we praise God for that. And we meet here on Sunday evenings in the chapel at 4 o'clock. Um, it's really a blessing for us to come together as a church. And do you have uh, specific things in the next year or in the coming years that you're thinking about in terms of your ministry or what your needs are? Yes. Um, our main, um, main objective in starting a, an ethnic church is basically to reach out to this community uh, that has been neglected in the sense that they don't go to an American church and uh, there's a cultural gap. So we want to provide a contextualized uh, space where they can come uh, and be there with the like with the people who are of the same ethnicity, where they can freely worship the Lord. At the same time, the Christians who go to American churches also are not um, not using God-given gifts in those churches. So we want to provide a platform where they can come and use the spiritual gifts for the edification of the church um, and be a blessing to the community. Uh, So as I see a lot more people coming to this Folsom area, especially from Indian background, uh, this this burden kept on growing. So harvest is plenty and workers are few. So the prayer is that, you know, the Lord may send more workers. And uh, also we would like to continue this uh, whatever we have been doing in terms of discipling people and uh, sending out. You know, one of the challenges that we face is that, uh, you know, the people who come here on short-term projects, you know, they leave the, the church when the project ends. They, go, they move to some other place. But the blessing is that, you know, they get trained here. When they go to a new place, they are being used by the Lord yeah. there. So, so you and Hepsi have been leading this church for mm-hmm. all these years mm-hmm. and so maybe you could tell us 
something that we can pray for you as the pastor or for you and Hepsi as key leaders in the church. Yeah. Something that would that you need or that you're asking God for these days. Yeah, so I am a software engineer as well as a pastor. So main challenge for me is the balancing time, yeah. uh, you know, between the work, family, and, and church. So pray that, yeah. you know, I may be able to. Of course, God called me for this, and God has been equipping me and giving his grace to do this. So uh, I need prayers for that. And at the same time, uh, as a group, you know, as we have seen, people in our church, we feel that this is our family. And uh, also I would like to mention that Wook Hills is our home. So even though we had opportunities to go out to some other church and have a worship there, uh, you know, we are very much comfortable here because we consider this as our home. And uh, we feel that we are a family in the church. So that helps us a lot because uh, in the family, you know, everybody looks after, you know, the other's interests. Yeah. So uh, the prayer for me is one for time, uh, uh, balancing the time, and also to be effective witnesses in this yeah, community. Right. Let's pray together. We'll pray for Paul and for ICCS. Heavenly Father, thank you for this testimony of Paul and of Hepsi, their faithfulness to you, and the way in which they have already uh, been a gift and an encouragement to us in so many ways, their willingness to step out of a comfort zone and to fulfill your calling. We continue to pray your blessing to be upon Paul and Hepsi and the leaders of ICCS. We pray for uh, Paul's ability to juggle the various responsibilities he has in his software job as well as as pastor of the church. I pray that you will give him wisdom and discernment as he manages these things and I also pray for deep seasons of rest and times of encounter with you to keep himself fresh. We pray for the many people moving into this area that ICCS is reaching out to. We continue to pray for those who do not know you that they would come to be a part of this fellowship and they would hear about your good news and they would seek to follow after Jesus. So we're thankful for our friendship with Paul and with ICCS and continue to pray your blessing upon them. And we do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thank you. All right. So I want to tell you where we're going to be heading after the new year. And then I will wrap up this uh, Every Step and Arrival series that we've been in during Advent uh, for a bit of time, uh, in the last several months actually, one of the stirrings that, that has been going on with me and something that has worked its way out in various times and in, in the various messages that, that have happened has been this idea of being present to God and awake to God and encountering God in the various places and in the various movements of our lives. So when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're in the neighborhood, when we're out and about. I have this sense that many of us uh, don't know any other way but to compartmentalize our lives. And so we have our work life and we have our home life and we have our school life 
And then we have our spiritual life, and our spiritual life is composed of church and a few other things. And what we're going to do in this, once we get into the new year, is we're going to talk about how to live awake, how to live in this sense of uh, God is active in the world outside of here. He's active in our lives. He's present with us and present in this world. So now Intel's cubicle or Folsom High School's classroom or wherever it is that we go at any given time, we are there in the presence of God and he is up to something in our midst. The the title of the series is um, Encountering God on Light Rail. And so we're going to talk about this setting, these settings in our lives where in many ways we just kind of, I got to get here and this will get me there. And the time in between, I just want my head down and I want no one to bother me and I want to be blocked out and I want to kind of be in my own world. And what happens when we open up to the possibility of God's presence in those situations where we experience him? And that's going to be the key word in this series. We experience him. In the course of everyday life. And we're going to talk about some practices we can engage in to cultivate a heart that is able to live in whatever we're doing in that experiential and conversational relationship with God. So we're looking forward to that. We'll begin that on the 5th of January. We'll go for about six weeks right up until Lent. So I want to wrap up our Every Step and Arrival series today. And if you would stand for our scripture reading It is, without a doubt, the shortest scripture reading in the history of Oak Hills Church. And here it is, from Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This comes right out of the passage that Paul read for us earlier during the Advent moment. And for the past two months, we've been preparing for Advent using the readings from this devotional called Every Step and Arrival. Every step we take in the ordinary course of everyday life, however mundane or however insignificant it may seem to be, is an opportunity, as we have been talking about, to see, to hear, and to experience the presence of Jesus dwelling among us, moving in us, restoring and renewing us, wooing and inviting us in the world to live this life we have right now under his good reign. And one of the things we have hoped for over these past two months is that individually in our own journey and communally in our life together as a church, we would purposefully enter into the Advent story in a fresh way and hopefully encounter God in the story in a fresh way. Over the years, I have interacted with those for whom the Advent season is a brand new experience, either because they only recently began to follow Jesus or because they grew up in a church setting where the Advent season was not talked about or it wasn't prioritized. And for either of these groups, the preparation time of Advent and the contemplation time of Advent, Advent, is rich and mysterious and wonder-filled. It is this kind of new experience that opens up, and for many in these groupings, they encounter God in a fresh way. But over the years, I've also interacted with many for whom the Advent season, quite frankly, has become rather dull. 
And it feels almost wrong to admit it, so we don't admit it. But it's become rather dull. I mean, it's just not all that thrilling or compelling to hear about Jesus' birth for the 38th or 48th or 28th or 98th time. We want the story to be inspiring. We want it to compel us. And we don't want anyone to know that we aren't compelled or we aren't all that inspired. But we've heard this a gazillion times. And it's sometimes difficult to manufacture inspiration. This is my 36th Advent season as a Christ follower and 28th as a minister. So I have more than my share of Advent sermons and Christmas devotionals on my computer. And I'll say it from here. It's not easy to say it all again with passion in a fresh way without sounding like a rerun. And if it doesn't sound like a rerun to you, it sounds like a rerun to me because I've said it all many times before. But one of the things I think that helps us rediscover the mystery and the wonder of this rather familiar Advent story is to remember that the characters in the story were actually real people. And this is, I recognize, stating the very obvious, but it is also stating the very easy to forget. The familiar loses its punch and its pull, it seems to me, because we equate hearing the familiar with knowing the familiar. But there is a deeper kind of knowing on the far side of the familiar. It is the knowing of wonder and amazement where mystery is pondered instead of solved. And I simply want to suggest today, as we hover on the brink of Jesus' arrival and celebrate his coming over the next couple of days, that we let the humanness of the people in this story bring us to the far side of the familiar and celebrate his coming with wonder and with amazement, pondering, to use the word in our scripture reading this incredible mystery of Jesus' birth. You see, long before they were famous, and long before they were known by their first names, and long before they were ceramic figurines in a quaint manger scene, and long before they were the subject of so many Christmas carols, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds were real people. They didn't look like most of us. They weren't white. They were Middle Eastern. They were Jewish. They didn't live in suburbia. They didn't have much by way of material possessions. And they weren't living in a free country because they lived under the thumb of the oppressive Roman Empire. So in many ways, they were very different from us, but they were living, breathing, flawed, confused human beings who had hopes and dreams and desires like we do. And they had hurts and disappointments like we do. They were living their lives and pursuing their dreams and dealing with disappointments and facing reality, like we do. And one simple way to travel to the far side of the familiar and recapture the mystery of the Advent drama is to strip away the sugary images of a cooing newborn in the arms of a young mother on a silent and holy and calm and bright night in front of cows and pigs and goats and remember the people in the story were actually people. Mary was someone's daughter. Joseph was someone's son. And their lives were beautifully disrupted and divinely rerouted 
by this mind-bending encounter with the living God. In the story Pastor Paul read from Luke 2 a moment ago, we heard about the shepherds who were working the night shift on the night Jesus was born. And then an extraordinary God encounter occurred. And just for a moment, let's forget about the angels and their singing and how this might have happened and what it might have looked like and so forth. These dudes were working in a field one night near the city of Bethlehem and they had their lives turned inside out and upside down by this inexplicable encounter with the living God. And these shepherds were men living in the first century with families and bills and problems and arguments with their wives and challenges with their children. And one night they went to work like they had a hundred or a thousand times before and they had an encounter with God in a field outside of Bethlehem and it changed them And it changed all of history. Mary is revered in the Catholic Church for various reasons. And she is revered in the Protestant Church for various reasons. And who she was and her exact role in the redemption story has been debated in various religious circles for thousands of years. But she's etched into our memory as the mother of God. But before she was revered or known by anyone, she was an obscure young, engaged, first century Jewish woman living a hard scrabble existence with a quiet faith in God. Before she was famous, Mary was pregnant, out of wedlock, at a time in history when such indiscretion could cost her her life. Before she was the contemplative figure of the manger scene, she traveled a long distance on a donkey while she was very, very, very pregnant about 80 miles on the back of a donkey while pregnant. The journey was hard, it was painful, it was sleepless, it was cold, and it was wonderfully human. And this single verse from our scripture reading is Mary's wonderfully human response to these incredible things happening all around her. Luke says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them, In her heart. And the word treasured means to keep in mind, to keep thinking about. And the word pondered means to reflect on the implications. Treasuring and pondering is a wonderfully human response to the coming of the king. All this incredible divine activity is happening around Mary. She feels it in her body, she sees it in her interactions with others. She hears it from the shepherds who come to see the child on the night he was born. And Luke says Mary treasured and pondered it all. The far side of familiar, treasuring and pondering. She sat in front of this divine story wordless. She stood on the far side of the familiar with wonder and amazement. This verse is a window into Mary's humanity and into our own humanity. She encountered God in this incredible saga, as we do, but she did not understand it all. She did not have a place where she could put all of this, where it fit real neatly. She didn't have a place she could stick it, where it fit inside of her system. Every eye of this story remained undotted, And every T of this story remained uncrossed. 
And rather than feverishly search for answers and solutions, Luke says she treasured the experience and she pondered the experience. God had met her and he was doing something. And Mary had seen it, however faintly, and she'd experienced it, however faintly. But perhaps the biggest proof that she had actually encountered God was her inability to explain it all neatly and cleanly and her unwillingness to pretend she could. The whole ordeal pulsated with wonder and mystery and this gradually unfolding divine drama ultimately left Mary wordless. I think she's a good example for us to follow. See, wonder and amazement and more questions than answers are a wonderfully human response to Advent. Wordless wonder. Experiencing God, not explaining Him. Waking up to Him, not trying to construct proofs that He exists. Embracing the amazement, not trying to fit this into our existing system. The deeper knowledge on the far side of the familiar prompt wonder and amazement and treasuring and pondering. Wordless. And this is the perfect posture as we approach the eve of Christ's advent. Treasuring and pondering. Mulling it over. Literally dwelling on it. Try this. Swirling it around in our minds to smell the aroma of it and savor the taste of God and His goodness. Reflecting on the myriad of implications of this incredible event, wordless and awestruck. Experiencing Advent, not talking about it. Encountering God in Advent, not trying to explain what happened or prove it happened. Literally feeling and experiencing the coming of the King. Treasuring and pondering His arrival. See, we tend to like to solve problems and find answers to our questions. In fact, some of us would rather find an answer to our question, even if it is the wrong answer, than live in the uncertainty of an unanswered question. We'd rather chase an answer down and say, this is the answer. And even though it could be proven to be the wrong answer, the security of having an answer is more important to us than the uncertainty of not having an answer. We like mystery. As long as by the end of the two-hour movie, it's solved. The Bible gives us much information about the advent of our king, where he was born, Bethlehem. Roughly when he was born, sometime between 5 B.C. and 2 B.C. Who was there when he was born? Mary was there, Joseph was there, the shepherds eventually showed up, and perhaps a cow, a goat, and a chicken were there as well. But the facts of Advent will only take us so far. In the language of John, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Oh, we get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Sort of. Not completely. We understand it, but not fully. 
we realize the importance of the coming of the king, but not totally. And those aren't slams against us. Those are acknowledgments that we are finite and mortal, and he is infinite and immortal. So how foolish could we be to think we comprehended this entire thing? And so this Advent, we treasure the king's coming. We keep it in mind. We keep thinking about it. We ponder this amazing mystery and its endless implications, and we celebrate the good news that our King has come to dwell among us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just want to sit for a moment or two, treasuring and pondering, mulling it over, Embracing the parts that are hard to understand. Wonder. Amazement. Worship. Something tells me if our experience of the coming King could increase by half a percent, our lives would be remarkably different. Something tells me if our understanding of Advent increased by half a percent we would make dramatic changes in our everyday lives to orient toward the coming king I want you to know today that we talk of these things not as intellectual ideas or philosophical speculations. We talk of these things as experiential realities. The King has come because of love for this world. Wordless wonder. We worship you, our great King. We adore you as King. We exalt you as King. And in the spaces and places of our inner life and of our existence in this world where we have not yet surrendered to you, 
We pray that we'll continue to see the incredible goodness, incredible grace, this invitation to surrender, this invitation to reality, this invitation to return to the way we were intended to live with you and under you in all things. That we might get a glimpse of what it would be like, how good it would be to yield our will and our way to you. And in doing so, find the life we're seeking to create through our will and our way. Goodness, peace, shalom, joy, reconciliation, restoration, healing to the deepest of levels, soul wounds that are tended to by the creator of our soul. We worship you. Wordless wonder. Amen.